Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Hello and welcome to the third part in this series, It's a New Day. Uh, I'm joining you from my home in Cambridge. Uh, and I came down to Cambridge 11 years ago for university, was originally born in Cumbria on the edge of the Lake District. Uh, and one of the things I noticed when I went from up north to down south, and some of you may have experienced this if you've ever moved homes before or country or when you've come to uni yourself, is there almost seems to be a different language between Cambridge and Cumbria. A couple of examples. In Cumbria, if I was walking along the street and I saw someone that I knew, uh, I would greet them with uh, a nod of the head and I'd say, all right, uh, or probably rather I'd say, all right. And uh, they would look at me, they'd nod their head too, they'd say, all right, and they'd carry on walking. We'd go on about our day. However, in Cambridge, uh, if you greet someone with, all right, uh, they're either going to look at you really funnily uh, or they're going to stop and they're going to want to explain to you uh, why they are feeling alright or why they're not feeling alright and what's going on in their lives. But actually in Cumbria, if I actually want to know what's going on in your life, then I would say, what's crack? What's crack? And um, if you say that in Cambridge, uh, again, much confusion ensues. Because the reality is this, is that every place Every culture, every demographic has its own language, has its own words and phrases that, that shape it and are also shaped by it. And I think that's nowhere more true than in Christianity. You know, within the Christian faith, looking in at it from the outside, there are all of these words and concepts that it's like, what on earth does that even mean? And I think that's true even for those of us who are Christians. There are, there are things that we say all the time that actually maybe we don't all think the same thing about. Maybe we don't all realise the fullness and the richness of some of these words and concepts. And we came across one of them today in the reading. It said, when he, Barnabas, arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them. Right in the middle of that passage, the word grace is such a beautiful word and such a beautiful reality. But one that I know for myself personally, I can often fail to live in the fullness of and realise the fullness of. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And, and I thought, you know, what better place to start with explaining what grace is than by asking some of our Kingsgate kids what they think about it. So let's head over to them. Grace is love and mercy given to us by God. Grace is something that your mommy or daddy gives you for, for a treat if you don't deserve it. Is when God gives something to you what you don't deserve. 
I think grace is when God freely gives you unlimited mercy and favour. I think grace means um, peace, calmness and gentleness. Grace is favour from God. Kids, thank you so much for those. You know, it's almost as if you've been reading the same Bible dictionary that I have, uh, where it defines grace like this. It says that grace is the free, unmerited love and favour of God. I love that. It's beautiful, isn't it? Or here's one. This, this I think, is my favourite, because uh, this is one that I can remember, because it's actually an acronym. You take grace, the letters G-R-A-C-E. Uh, there's my GCSE English coming in. Uh, and you make this phrase, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. What does grace look like? Well, take your Bible, open your Bible and read about who God is. Read of his love, read of his kindness, read of his mercy. Grace is all of that given to you because of Jesus. I wonder what it is that you need today in your life. What challenges are you facing? Where do you need God's grace to come through for you? You know, my belief is that as we, as we listen today, that God is going to do something in our minds and reveal to us again the fullness or reveal more fully the wonder that grace is, but also something in our hearts and in our lives. He wants to give himself. He wants to give his riches to us today to help us whatever we're going through. And so we're going to look at three elements of grace that we see in this community at Antioch uh, and that we can live in ourselves. And the first one is this. The first measure of grace is we want to receive God's grace for us. Receive God's grace for us. You know, something was happening in this community in Antioch. God was moving and transforming lives. And the church in Jerusalem, they heard about it and, and their ears were tickled and they were like, oh, I wonder... If what we hear happening is actually what's happening. And so they choose a man called Barnabas. They send him on the 300 mile journey, something we sometimes uh, don't realise, probably two full weeks of walking. They send him down uh, to see, is this really true? And you can imagine Barnabas walking and his, his kind of expectations are up. What's he going to find? Is God really doing all those things there? And then he gets there and we read this. He says, when he, again, that's Barnabas, arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad. And I think the, the translation of that word there in this uh, Bible is slightly uh, underdone. Other translations say, when he saw what the grace of God was done, he was filled with joy. Or yet another one, he was infused and overjoyed. Barnabas has walked for two weeks and he gets there and he is amazed and he is delighted and he is seeing the wonder of what the grace of God had done. But what is that? What has the grace of God done in this community? Well, early in the passage, it says what has happened. It says a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And you know, this is where the grace of God is really first and most seen in the world around us, in the decision of an individual to say yes to Jesus, to turn to Jesus, to say, you know what, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. And I believe you did what the Bible said you did. And I'm going to give you my life and I'm going to receive your life in return. And this is a wonder that particularly within the church we hear about and we talk about so much. And I just wanted us to, to experience it afresh and hear it afresh today. So what I've asked, uh, what I've done is asked my friend Susie uh, to film just a short spoken word that she actually produced for Easter last year. Uh, so she's filmed that for us. And as, as we watch this and listen to this, can I encourage us to lean in to the wonder of what Jesus has done for you? 
Here's a story about a man who gave it all. His friends messed up, he took the fall, and when all seemed lost, irredeemable, when the grave swallowed him like a big black hole, he made a reappearance, walked back in tall. But this is not victory from the jaws of defeat. This is victory in the very moment he was beaten and mocked and nailed to the cross when the architect of skies let himself be cast aside, when the one who made the hands that drove the nails let his own be pierced by them. This is no great escape, no big mistake in the history books. He really died, but he really rose and in dying defeated death. In rising, all our mess was left by the wayside of resurrection life. No great escape, but a great exchange. Because we can nail our darkness to that very same cross. Cross from dark to light, because he's already paid the cost. We did not deserve this. To have our dirty clothes swapped for royal robes. It's not how I'd have ended the story. I could not devise a plot so glorious, a God who doesn't keep his distance, stepping into the story he wrote as the hero who dies to bring us back to life. And right now, he's close, more powerful than the grave, brighter than the brightest sun rays, bigger than your worst day and better than your best. Before the start and beyond the end, he loves you. He loves you. And he died to give you grace. Isn't that beautiful? He loves you. He loves you. And he died to give you grace. You know, this is the reality of grace. You are not too bad and you are not too messed up to receive God's grace in your life today. And you also don't have it all together to the point where you do not need God's grace in your life today. What the cross shows is that it is 0% to do with me and to do with you and 100% to do with Jesus and what he did on the cross. We cannot deserve it and we cannot earn it, but it's all his love and his favour towards you. Paul, who in the passage he was called Saul that we heard read, he had a radical encounter with this love that changed his life. And he says this uh, about grace. He says it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. You know, some of us today need to stop thinking that we are too bad for God's grace to touch us and change us and fill us. And some of us need to stop trying to earn it through our good works, through our Bible reading, through our prayer. The truth is he loves you because he loves you because he loves you and he gave his son for you. And so I just want us to take a moment now. And if, if you want to receive the grace of God today, maybe for the first time, maybe the first time in a long time, I just want to pray a simple prayer with you. It's just going to come up on the screen, the words. And why don't you, you might want to say this out loud, maybe just in, in your head, in your heart, depends where you are. And just say these simple words, say, Jesus I receive your grace today. Jesus, I receive your grace today. 
come on. Those of you who have prayed that, you know, God has done something in your life even today. And it doesn't stop there. (laughs) It doesn't stop in a moment, but it carries on through the rest of your life. And so this is the second thing that I want us to look at today is we need to partner with God's grace in us. Partner with God's grace in us. Yes, the grace of God was moving and working in this community so that many became Christians, but also it carried on throughout the rest of their lives. There's a wonderful little sentence in this passage that we heard, and it says this. It said, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. They were called Christians first at Antioch. And it's easy to skim over this because we use the word Christian all the time. But the reality is it's only used in the Bible three times. And Luke, who's writing this passage, is keen to emphasize this is the very first time that this group of people picked up the name Christian which different commentators will say means followers of Christ or those who belong to Jesus or even little Jesuses. This is the first time. And you know, this is really significant because before then they'd been called believers or followers of the way. But now Jesus and the grace of Jesus has so filled them, has so changed them, and they are partnering with that to the measure where it's not just something they do now, but it's who they are. They have taken on this identity as a Christian, as one who is so full of Jesus that everything they do is marked by it so that other people can see around. And, you know, this is where I often sometimes fall down when it comes to grace, because I can think, you know, um, God's grace brings me into new life. God's grace brings me into this, these wide open spaces Paul talks about, into the Christian faith. But then it's up to me. Then it's up to my strength and my ability and me making everything happen. It's God's riches at Christ's expense that bring me here, but then it's God's riches and Chris's efforts <laughs> that take me on. Kind of like, I don't know if any of you can remember your first day at a new school, but the way I sometimes live out grace completely wrong is it's like my, my parents have have kind of got everything ready for me to go to school. They've got my lunch spots ready. They've, they've dropped me at the bus stop or maybe dropped me at school, but then they go. And I'm left on my own to try and figure out what on earth is going on. How am I going to make friends? I don't know the answer to that. Where am I? Uh, And I'm suddenly on my own and they're no longer there. But that is not the way that God's grace works in our life. Again, Paul writes these beautiful words. It says, he, that's God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How will he not graciously give us all things? That word graciously literally means to give grace. You know, God doesn't just want to give you grace so that you can start a relationship with him. He wants to give you grace for every single moment of every single day for the rest of your life. Back to the school metaphor. God doesn't just drop you off at school and then leave. No, he gets out the car. And as Charles was talking about last week, he takes your hand. And he walks with you through the day. And when you don't know what to do and you need wisdom, his grace is there to give you wisdom. And when you're in a situation where you just need his peace, when things seem overwhelming, he's holding your hand and his grace is there to give you peace. You know, going back to the the question I asked earlier, what is it that you need today? Where is it that you need grace to come? Why don't we just take a moment now and just ask him and just say, God, I need your grace for this situation. I need your grace to come and change what's going on here. I need your grace to come and impact my life here. And he comes. 
and he fills you day after day after day. He fills us to the measure where every day we can approach God's throne with grace, with confidence, to find grace to help us in our time of need. Every day God says to you, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. And just to show this working itself out in someone's life, Tega's going to share a little bit of her story of her time at Union, how God's grace equipped her every single day. I think I really experienced God's grace during my time at university. Before university, I think I placed a lot of my identity in the grades I got. And before university, that was a very relatively stable foundation. But then I moved to Cambridge and that foundation began to crumble. After first year, I went back to the basics of my faith and realized the beauty in what Christ did for us on the cross. As a Christian, our identity is in Christ, and that is an unshakable and unchanging um, foundation. And that was very liberating to hear because it meant that I could ask questions in supervisions, in lectures without the fear of, oh, do I look stupid or what do people think about me? It meant I was free to enjoy my time at Cambridge and really get the most out of it. And that was successful because I was, I graduated with a first class from Cambridge in my final year. And I think that had a lot to do with God's grace and the freedom that I got from that. Thank you so much, Tega, for sharing with us just how God's grace shaped your life during that time. So for all of us, we want to receive God's grace for us. We want to partner with God's grace in us, but also we want to let God's grace flow through us. That's the third thing. Let's let God's grace flow through us. Going back to the church in Antioch, we see that the grace of God is transforming their lives and turning them around and bringing them into a new life with Jesus. That grace then continues to work in them, helping them in every single moment of every single day. But then what we see is that that grace does not stop with them. They're not the end point of grace, but actually it works and flows through them to those around them. Back to the passage, uh, we see that some prophets come down from Jerusalem, some women and men of God, and they declare that there's going to be a famine across the whole land. There's going to be people in need of finance. There's going to be people in need of food and provision. And the church responds. And we read this. The disciples, that's each one of the church, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders, by Barnabas and Saul. And you know, this is the thing about grace. You know, it is most fully expressed in us when it overflows to those around us in wholehearted, passionate and free giving. Because you know, that's who God is. That is who God is. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God who is love, God who is all grace, shows that grace by giving Jesus to the world, to humanity, to you and to me. And then Jesus, who John describes as full of grace, he lives out his whole life giving himself away to others, giving his time, giving his energy, giving his prayers, giving his anointing and ultimately giving his life on the cross. And for us, those of us who would call ourselves Christians, that's the life that we are called and equipped to live. A life of giving ourselves to those around us, just like Jesus, just like the church in Antioch, overflowing the grace given to us, to others. And this happens in many ways. It happens when we pray for others. It happens when we use our gifts to help serve others. It happens when we write encouraging words or send text messages to others. 
But you know, as the church in Antioch showed, it also happens when we use our finances and we use the money that we have been given to bless others around us. Paul writing to uh, a different church, church in a place called Corinth this time, in, in the context of a financial offering, he says this, and this is really interesting. In the context of money, Paul says, and God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that because you have enough of everything in every way at all times, you will overflow in every good work. Elsewhere in this same letter, the same context, he talks about the grace of giving, the grace of giving. You know, there is something about grace when it infuses us and when it affects us that it changes how we use our money. It opens up our wallets and allows us to freely give to those around us. And you know, Annabelle and I have been on the receiving end uh, of this grace of giving many times in our life. One of the most notable is when we moved house, some of our friends uh, gave us quite a big financial gift in order to buy a table. You know, that it wasn't the table in itself, but the table for them and the table for us is, is a picture of family and hospitality. It has real meaning. And, and that gift just, it blew us away. We've had that. And then we've had countless moments where people have bought us a drink uh, or picked up the tab when we're out for dinner. And in each one of those moments, I mean, you know it as well. When someone buys something for you or gives you money, there is something that happens in you that you're like, oh man, you love me so much that you want to put your money where your mouth is and help me out and love me and show grace to me. And I love hearing the stories of how you guys are getting out and about in your neighborhoods and communities and in the church, just overflowing with this grace of giving to those around you. I've heard stories of life groups who chip together to buy a mattress for one of their members or another washing machine or a laptop as well all true stories all things that you guys have done i know of one person and she was chatting to someone homeless on the street and it was it was kind of cold and they needed some some warmth and so she took her coat you know we all have those coats that we love yeah well she took that off of herself and overflowed with grace and gave it to this person I know of someone recently who told me they just received anonymously uh, a really expensive bottle of wine in the post and they were just overjoyed and overflowing because they had experienced grace in their lives. I also know of one community within Kingsgate who have pulled their money together to support some kids in our compassion projects, just giving them grace and giving them opportunities and showing them love and showing them Jesus in a way that they would never experience otherwise. And we as a church want to do this together as well with the the money that you give to us. We love to send it to our partner organisations overseas, Tia Fund and Belembu and Heart for Lebanon to help them be the hands and feet of Jesus, to show grace to those around them on the ground. It's why we partner with Food Bank in Peterborough, Cambridge and Leicester and, and other charities. It's why we have the Care Zone because we know that something happens when, yes, when we give prayers, yes, when we serve, those are important. But when we give our money and when we say you, we love you so much, you, you are our treasure and our hearts are going to follow and our money is going to follow in that. And this beautiful thing happens that we catch Jesus's heart more and we give more and we catch his heart more and we give more. And over this last season, Annabelle and myself, we've been challenged and inspired to, to step up and step more into this grace of giving, to let what God has given to us overflow. And we've been looking at our budget and we've been looking at our savings and we've been listening to God and just carving out money that we say, you know what, this this is directly going to go to people. God, we're going to give as you tell us to give. Uh, and we've been listening and we've been giving and you want to know something? We've been loving it. 
Yes, there are some things that we don't buy for ourselves now, but there is just wonderful truth in the phrase that says it's more blessed to give than receive. We've discovered it is so, so fun. And I want to invite you today into the fun, into the fun of giving generously, of overflowing to those around us. And I know that some of you will be be listening in and watching, will be saying, Chris, I loved your first point, particularly the spoken word from Susie. Uh, I thought your second point was good too, but this one is just, I'm really struggling with what you're saying here. And I'm struggling because I'm struggling financially. And so I can't connect what you're saying. And actually in this time, we don't have the money. We don't have the means. And, and I know that for many of us within this church community and wider, this season has, has wiped our finances. Income has changed, jobs have changed. And, and the first thing I wanna to say to you is that we are praying for you. Uh, I'm praying that just like Paul said, that the grace of God would overflow into your life so that you can then overflow to others around you. But we also wanna help you practically. Uh, and so can I just encourage you, head to our website. It's just gonna be a link here. We'd love to connect with you, work out how we can help walk with you in this journey. Also, if you're in a life group, please chat to your life group leader. Or if you're not in a life group, then get in one because we want to help and we wanna walk with you in this really tough time for you. And for all of us, I take real encouragement from the words that we see in the passage. This church in Antioch, it says, they gave what they were able. They gave what they were able. And this reminds me of two incidences that we see at the end of Jesus's life. In one, he is in the temple and he's watching people give their offerings uh, into the offering bucket. And he sees one widow and it says that she gave two very small coins worth hardly anything at all. But Jesus looks at her and he says, that is so beautiful because that is extravagant sacrificial giving on her part. So we've got that story. And then on uh, a different occasion, we see Jesus is in a home and another woman comes and she takes a, a jar of perfume that she has. Maybe it was Gucci, maybe Chanel, maybe not. Um, and this jar was worth a year's worth of wages, the Bible tells us. And she breaks it and she pours it all over Jesus. And Jesus, just as he did with the two coins that weren't really worth much at all, with this year's worth of perfume of wages, he says, that too is so beautiful. Because, you know, Jesus actually doesn't care, I believe, about the amount that you give. He cares about the heart behind it. He cares about you being moved by love for the people he is moved by love with. He cares about grace impacting your life so that you freely say, you know, I've been given all of this and I want to use it to love and serve and bless those around me. And so today I do want to invite you to come on the journey. Some of you are already way ahead of Annabelle and myself. Some of you, you may just be kind of dipping your feet into generosity and giving. I want to invite you, come on the journey. Because, you know, what would it look like if each one of us, if me and you and the, the hundreds of others joining us, we each grasp this to a greater measure. We each said, God, you know, I want to overflow to those around me. I'm going to use my finances to bless the people I live with to bless my neighbours, to bless my colleagues. If we each went out into our cities and bought coffees for people and spent time with homeless people and, and ate a meal with them, if we sent shopping to our people in our life group, if we heard of needs and acted with our wallets, what would our cities and our regions and our villages look like if we all said, you know what, God, come on. <laughs> You've placed me here for a reason and I'm ready to go. So we're going to take 
just another moment now before we sing again and and close our time in worship and i want to pray for us and i'm going to be praying very practically that god would give me and would give you opportunities this week to overflow in the grace of giving financially to others so let's just pray again together father god thank you that you are with us today and we do just want to thank you for everything you've given to us whether we have a lot or a little at the moment and i ask would you move in our hearts first and foremost would you touch our hearts to the measure where it overflows through our wallets through our credit cards to those around us that we love and serve people with our finances but would you also give us opportunities put people and situations and circumstances in our path this week so that we can respond with love and we can respond with grace but ultimately we know it's all from you and we want to use it all for your kingdom and your glory in jesus name amen and as you go <laughs> as you give as you act in grace i pray that the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of god and the intimate fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with you in ever-increasing measures. Amen.